Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Here to introduce you to the great musicians and music businesses and organizations of Wisconsin. Every week, Wisconsin Music Podcast will be bringing you great information on what's happening in the Wisconsin music world. For our music-loving listeners, we'll bring you music that you haven't even heard of yet from unique and talented artists and hear about their journey so far. You'll either hear live performances of their songs or songs from their selected discography. For our musicians out there wondering what they can do to further their recognition, we'll be calling upon Wisconsin music businesses and organizations to enlighten you on what they're doing to help further your music journey. And now, here's your host, Zach. Thanks, Dean. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Wisconsin Music Podcast. This week, we have Red Deacon, who is a longtime singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist. His influences are in the country, folk, bluegrass era. He just released a new Christmas single called Mary Can I Hold the Baby, which you will hear later on in the interview. He is part of the great Milwaukee area country music scene. He has opened up for Charlie Prime, who was a top-selling artist for RCA Records after Elvis. So let's get right into the great interview with Red, and you can hear a lot of great stories and great information of what maybe can help you in your music endeavors. So once again, here's Red Deacon. Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. This week we have Red Deacon, and he's going to talk a lot about um, his musical life. So welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Thank you, Zach. Thank you for having me, and uh, looking forward to what we're going to be talking about here today. Excellent. So we have Red, and we have Gary Tannen, who's been um, on the sh- on the show before. And um, Red, why don't you kind of give us your music origin story? How did you start getting into music, and kind of give us a a summary of your whole career timeline. Okay, well, uh, what do we do for people falling asleep? Have you got a sound effect? <laughs> <laughs> I can put one I in. Started out, I started out uh, actually professionally while I was working for the city of West Dallas as a tree trimmer. And we had a one guy on our crew that could sing very good. Very good. And on a Summer afternoon, he'd be up in a tree, and we're swaying back and forth in the breeze, and he'd be start he'd start singing, and I would jump in and harmonize with him. Well, then the next step was a retirement party. Our superintendent from the forestry department was retiring. The mayor gave a speech, and a couple other people gave speeches, and everybody was in suit and ties, and it was still light outside, and everybody was supposed to go home. So... Uh, he said, no, this is not. This shouldn't happen. So I said, how about if I go home and get my guitar? And I had another guy in the crew who was a musician. I said, you go and get your bass, and we'll take this microphone off the speaker's podium here, and we'll set it over here on the stage, and we'll, we'll just do some music. Are you crazy? <laughs> and I said, no, let's just give it a try. I'm not too early to go home. Yeah. Well, that started it. We had a good time that day, and the next day we started talking about how much fun that was. And uh, it kind of evolved into a, a regular weekly jam where we'd get together at a, a bar that I know of. I would let us go in the back room and we'd sit there with a pitcher of beer and howl at the moon for a while. And pretty soon I met some country music musicians at a different place. It's no longer in, a, in that uh, 
in that business, I guess, anymore. But uh, from there, got names exchanged. And one day I came home from a side job, and my wife at the time said, uh, a guy named Buckets called you. Well, I knew right away who that was. But why would he be calling me? He was a bass player and banjo player with a with another guy. And he said, uh, Red, we need a lead player tonight. And I said, uh, do you know who you're talking to? I said, I don't play lead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he started laughing to us. We just need somebody to stand there. And I literally was still learning how to play guitar, finding my C chord and stuff like that, you know. And so that gig worked out pretty good. And uh, pretty soon... Uh, we had uh, gone to the owner of that club. It was way out near Holy Hill, little country place, pretty tough place. But he, we went there and asked for a raise, and the guy fired us. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay, so uh, maybe the following week or two, we're sitting at the same place where we had the jam session, and in walks the owner from that club. He says, hey, I came to town to find you. Here you are. Hmm. So I want you to come back to work for me, and I don't want those other two guys. Well, I knew what that was all about. He found me by luck. Uh. <laughs> so anyway, that branched off into uh, another uh, thing. I, I went back. I went to work for the guy. I knew 10 songs, and one of them was everybody's song from the past. Your parents knew it. My parents you are my sunshine. That was on my list. That's, that's how hard up I was for material. <laughs> so I uh, started that gig and I started learning songs. And um, pretty soon uh, I ended up quitting my job at the city and I uh, been in the music business mainly since then, but had some sidelines here and there. Things that kept me going and kept me in money during some of the lean times. Quit my full-time job there at the at the city back in, uh, oh, probably was around 67 or so. So how old were you about in your early 20s? I was in my 20s, yeah. I'm not good at mental arithmetic, so I am uh, was born in 42, so you figured it out. <laughs> anyway... That was uh, 55 years or better, maybe 56 years ago now. I've had a really good career. I had a good band for quite a few years, but in, the, in 1979, I decided to pack up my uh, wishes and my dreams and become a songwriter, go to Nashville. Okay. I had uh, gone down to Nashville uh, in the early 70s and recorded a record. Met some people on there. It was quite fascinated with the with the people and the, and the business and all fired up to what I wanted to do. But I found out the, the way to do this is to go down there and hang out when and where the people are, which was the nightlife. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I couldn't be hanging around if I didn't have a, a job where I could have a little money to spend for going out. You yeah. Know? So I went down uh, after I... Uh, I finished a two-year stint with Artist Corporation, ACA. I think you're probably familiar with that. 
Yeah. Yeah. You've probably heard that name mm-hmm. uh, many times on your show, right? A few times. Anyway, yeah. he signed me to a two-year contract, and I went out and uh, made a living playing all the small little rooms they had, Howard Johnson's and Holiday Inns and little steakhouses along the highway, you know. Yeah. All out through the Midwest, North Dakota, Michigan, down and through. Uh, I played a little bit in Texas and Arkansas. And uh, anyway, that lasted for two years. I was trying to save some money and get a song catalog so I could go to Nashville and walk up and down the street with my hit kit and uh, knock on doors. And uh, that's the way I thought it was done. Well, that is the way it's done, but you got to go down there with a commitment. Pocket full of money helps, but a commitment is what you need. <laughs> Gary knows about that. Gary has a commitment to music in general for probably longer than I have. Only well, he's probably not quite as old as I am, but I think he started sooner. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so my uh, my band career ended there in 79. I moved to Nashville just kind of on a trial. I had an invitation to stay with a friend of mine here in Milwaukee who had moved to Nashville several years before and was doing okay. His name was Tom Grant. His name may have come up on your show. Tom's a recognized uh, songwriter celebrity in Nashville. He had a charted hit. Uh, he, he covered a song by the Commodores, Sail On. And it went to number 13 in Billboard. And while his song was going up, his record company was kind of floundering. And uh, they couldn't follow up with a decent uh, comeback hit. He had a couple of things recorded that sounded promising. They released another one that only went to, I don't know if it got, it out, of, got out of the top 40. Anyway, uh, Tom said, uh, oh, come on down, Red. You can stay in my house. And uh, stay as long as you want. Well, you know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, didn't, hopefully, I didn't overstay my welcome, but I put a mark in the sand. I'll stay with you for four weeks. And I think that I went to four and a half, maybe five weeks. But uh, I tried to get a job while I was down there, mostly. And he and I wrote a couple songs. And I did a lot of visiting at the uh, night spots and met met lots of people during the day. But uh, I couldn't get arrested. You know, there was just no jobs. This was back in uh, 79, 80. And... um, so there was nothing going on in the economy. And yeah. I took a a playing job in uh, Marion, Indiana. And that lasted a couple of weeks. And before I left, I had just dropped off an audition tape at a uh, Howard Johnson's in Nashville. And I called a guy uh, from that job in Marion. He said, oh, I was just about ready to call you. I like what I heard. I'd like to put you in here for a while, you know. Oh, man, I'm on the road. I can't leave, you know. Yeah. So one of them kind of stories, you know, you swing and a miss. Mm-hmm. And you get up, hope to get up to bat again soon. But Right. There I was. I uh, finished my stay there at Tom Grant's house, and I, a job came along 
back here in Milwaukee, and I took it. It was a house gig down at the Rafters and on 27th and Rawson, playing a solo. And uh, five and a half years later, I was still there. The place burned, burned, burned down. Oh no! And they opened another place over on uh, over in West Dallas. It finally became known as Steakhouse 100. There's a big long story between them, <laughs> which I won't go into. Okay. Uh, so that lasted uh, over 12, 11, 12 years, something like that. All the while, it was kind of the same guy that I was working for. He was there at the rafters when I started. He was there at the Steakhouse 100. And that partnership dissolved into another one or not a partnership, his sole ownership, a place called the Porter House mm -hmm. uh, down by the airport. I stayed there for another 12 or 13 years. And then, uh, then I went to Diamond Gyms in Hills Corners. Stayed there for another 13 years. I guess that's my lucky number. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so about three and a half years ago, I played my last uh, my last job. Decided I would hang it up. The restaurant had been uh, had been sold on a land contract, and the owner gave it back to the original owner, Diamond Jim. And uh, at first, I was going to have a job again with Diamond Jim, but then he he never he never did call me. So hmm. I can take a hint. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> so I took a. Uh, courier job and that's what i'm doing now to keep uh keep the wolf away from the door so okay that's pretty much it during the um time when i came back to town i uh bought the house from my mom which uh well the rest of us kids in the family owned anyway i built a studio in the basement of this house this is where i'm speaking from right now yeah let's talk about that yeah and, uh so gary Gary was an acquaintance of mine. We knew each other from the music store where I did business. And uh, Gary was the uh, electronics uh, repairman. And I knew he had a music career going, but I didn't realize how extensive it was at the time. He, he became quite a celebrity in Milwaukee with uh, released uh, records that were getting airplay and so, but he was he was my go-to guy for whenever I had an amplifier that didn't work or something. Gary's self-taught in electronics, and uh, I thought he was graduate from you know some electronics school or something. Mm -hmm. Gary was fixing all my all my stuff, and everybody else is in town out of uh, the music store. Yeah, and so he and I became acquaintances, and uh, finally became friends. Got involved in uh, what I was doing here in the studio. And, you know, I thought, my God, this guy has a wealth of knowledge. And he knows uh, a lot more than I'll ever learn. He probably forgot more than I'll ever learn. <laughs> <laughs> and that's still the case. I mean, I, how often, do Gary, do I call you for, hey, what what about this? Now, yeah. Whether it's a computer problem, whether it's a, a recording problem or something, he did... Uh, Something with, um, what was it called in the beginning, uh, Pro Tools? 
in the beginning was DigiDesign, right? Yeah, yeah. it was uh, Session 8. Session 8, there you go. Oh, wow. But, and I was one of the first uh, guinea pigs, I guess, in Milwaukee that had a system. We were trying to run it out of a Windows computer. Windows was brand new. So things just weren't working right, you know. And here was Gary on the phone with the technical support people and telling them what he found. And I could hear him saying, really? Oh, really? And they were learning from Gary's discovery. You know, yeah. this blew my mind. I started a business venture in kind of the mid-90s, I guess it was. Yeah. And I turned to Gary to solve a problem that I had. And he ended up writing a computer program. It was the only way to make what I was trying to do work. And, uh, and I said, you're kidding. You can do that? Oh, yeah. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> he did it. And uh, it was my brother and I trying to do a, a media advertising, I guess, was the best way to describe what we were trying to do, display advertising on a screen. And back then, there was no real technology to get this done. So we used a big screen TV to get started. Gary made that happen. How do you talk to that, to that TV, you know? And it's all, all stuff that he, like I said, he's self-taught. He figures this can, this can be done. I'll, I'll get back to you. And he comes back with the, with the answer. So that's, that's my man, Gary. Yep. Yeah, I've Gary has helped me multiple times as well with recording machines and just getting things figured out. So, yeah. and, and mastering and all that other great stuff that he he's a jack of a lot of trades and master of many. Yes, yes, yes. I agree totally with that. But yeah, with that dizzy design, that we really had some uh, some stories to tell. Gary was convinced. Oh, wow. I still am that uh, this basement studio was in a vortex. <laughs> every time something would go wrong, figured out, well, it works over here. Everybody else works. How come it doesn't work by you? Right. You know? And he came up with that term. You're in a vortex. <laughs> something, something about that location. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I still have, you know, yeah. today I'm working on a problem. Trying to sync my iTunes. You know, I, I moved things around maybe a little bit too much. And uh, my iTunes wasn't syncing up. So I'm on the phone for about two and a half hours with, with Apple. They couldn't help me. And uh, so I'm kind of on hold with that, with that issue. Let's talk about your recorded music. You have a recording studio. So kind of give us the lay of the land here. How, you know what you were doing, how many recordings you have, you know, the, give us, you know, kind of like some recording stories, some horror stories, some awesome stories, you know, just kind of entertain the listeners, basically. Like, uh, let's go back to my Nashville songwriting, my aspirations. Okay. I've, I didn't write a whole lot of songs, but I figured uh, quality is better than quantity. And so I kept revisiting my songs, trying to improve them. Gary knows that's part of the story. <laughs> I, uh, I overthink things like I'm guilty, guilty as charged. I think a lot and, of musicians uh, are like that. 
Well, that really doesn't, uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I kept pitching songs as I read, wrote them during those first few years. I would make many trips to Nashville. Like I mentioned before, I had a little, everything was on reel to reel. So I had a box that, or a case that would fit all these uh, copies for to leave you with, with publishers. And uh, it was all on small reels, three inch reels, three and a half inch reels or whatever the size was. Okay. So if I had, you know, half a dozen new songs, I would take uh, four or five copies of each one down there with me. So I had this hit kit. I would knock on doors. Anybody here can hear some uh, original music. In those days, you didn't have to call ahead. Or, you know, they would answer the door. Yeah, come on in. And uh, <clears throat> they didn't want to hear where you're from, who you are, nothing. They just queued up the tape. And uh, if they if you didn't knock them out in the first four bars, they, they spun you back and handed it to you. And you thanked them and out the door you went, you know. That's that's the cold hard facts of it, you know. Seems that it really hasn't be, changed much since then. Exactly, and that's the way it's got to be. I mean, it's it is a business. It's like if you're selling widgets, aluminum widgets, you walk into a, the prospective uh, buyer. He doesn't like what you got. You're not going to start talking about the family, and you know you go down the road and make a sale. You know, that's the. It's the same. That's the way it is. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, I decided to try my hand at uh, recording my own, since how I was performing steady here in Milwaukee. Decided to have some product I could sell off the stage, and um, so I recorded a few of my songs. I did a couple of cover songs uh, down the road, and. Uh, had pretty good luck with selling them, but mostly when I started um, recording my live performances as a soloist, because I was I had a house job, and uh, I had an ADAT recorder, which was eight tracks of digital, mm -hmm. and uh, so I could keep recording night after night after night, take my whole song catalog, and do. Uh, many versions of the same song throughout the years. It took me about maybe two years, maybe three years almost to get uh, enough songs to, to, uh, to put out five uh, live CDs. Okay. And, uh, and people, because they were all hit song cover songs, none of my original songs were included in there. Every, every time somebody picked up a CD, what have you got here? Oh, I like that song. Yeah, that one's, yeah. Okay, I'll buy it, you know. So you got to have <laughs> got to have other people's hits in your hands, you know. Yeah. So uh, that was the secret to that. And uh, so I, I had those five recorded live CDs. Plus I uh, remastered some of my, I, I had a vinyl cut that I did here in the studio. Uh, the 33 and, and I did that to tape first and then I remastered that to uh, to digital and the last session I did in Nashville was in 1990 and that also was uh, that, that didn't go to vinyl 
just was on, on cassette. And uh, so I, I uh, remastered that, put that out on CD. So I had a total of seven CDs to sell. And just just me, you know. And, yeah. And uh, my Nashville recording course was Nashville Musicians. I had some pretty good pickers on that uh, on that one session. They were mostly players that everybody saw daily on the Nashville Now program. Because through my contact of uh, Tom Grant, Tom was a regular on that show, and uh, I asked Tom to produce that album project for me, and he agreed, and he got uh, all the pickers from that that uh, staff band that he could get: the guitar player, the steel player, um, the keyboard player he got from some some other source. Bass player from another source. Drummer was uh, occasionally on that show. Uh, the, the horn player was from the show. Anyway, uh, real great pickers that I had, you know. Yeah. I mean, and they knocked that uh, that album project out for me in the allotted time and did a couple extras, uh, a couple extra tracks for me. Do you remember? About how much they charged you to put that all together? Well, I don't actually remember. Uh, somewhere around three grand, I think. And it was just for their time. You know? Yeah. And uh, nobody was promising me anything. You know, you get done, the guy hands you the tape, <laughs> shakes your hand, and out the, out the door you go. You right. Know? I wasn't expecting more than that. So I took it down and, and got it uh run off at a CD, uh, at a cassette manufacturer, you know, did that all on my own and sold it to, to the people, you know. So um, trying to think of what I'm leaving out of this story. Uh, like I say, I, I meantime, I tried to pitch my songs. And um, one of the songs that I recorded on that session back in 1990, I got a little... Uh, interest from a couple of people that that heard it down there some uh, some gospel artists it was kind of a gospel song but sort of secular more than anything called closer to home okay and um i i thought that song could be a hit anyway a friend of mine just kind of branches off now into this story that gary was talking about and it's called closer to home and uh I have a, had a friend that moved to Arkansas after he retired and sort of stayed in touch by coming up to visit his son and the rest of his family once a year. And he uh, used to come and sing once in a while after his second shift job. He used to come and sing at some of the nightclubs. I never met him then, but I knew some of the clubs that he sang at. And... Uh, so finally, I talked him into getting up with me and singing a song. And uh, he's very uh, reluctant at first. Finally, I, finally, he agreed. And his name is Tom, Tom Karbowski. And uh, I was very impressed with his singing. Like I could really sing good. So anyway, and we fast forward to uh, maybe 98 or something like that. 
he approached me to do an album project here in the studio. Can you do that? Sure. Love to do that. So uh, we picked out a, a bunch of songs, and uh, he brought up a couple of originals from a jams, kind of a jam thing that he was doing down there in his uh, community. And the uh, project turned out good. And a year or so later, he approached me again. He says, uh, my son wants to buy, a, buy me a present and record another album. Great. And uh, I said, take this song and see if you can, see if it gets to you and see if you'd like to do it. So I gave him that Closer to Home song. And he said he liked it. And uh, as I, you know, I says, I think we can uh, get that done without, you know, without hurting ourselves. And um, and he sang the fire out of it, I think. Uh-huh. Sang it, you know, got the feeling of it and did it very well. And the guy's a natural born singer. He does his own harmony. And he never did this professionally. Oh, wow. You know, he, wor- he worked in a machine shop or something. I can't remember exactly where he worked, but uh, he used to come in after his, uh, I don't know if that would be second shift. He'd be still able to go out and catch a couple uh-huh. of, Hours of bar time, right? Yeah, that'd be second yeah, shift. Eleven, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, second shift uh, factory worker. He loved singing, and he had natural talent. Now where he is in, in Arkansas, he he goes out on a regular basis. Well, first of all, they asked him to join a little Opry down there in some some town, and uh, he was a regular member of that. And then that closed down, I guess, with the COVID. Now he still goes out and uh, sings. At, he sings in retirement homes. He sings at his church. You know, so this kind of launched his whole singing thing. And he's happy about it. And I, I sure am. So uh, that's the story on that song. Tabletop high, Mama sang hushabye in a memory you've never outgrown. Now you're going back in time where everything is fine. You're getting closer to home where it's easy. There are bells on Church Street And honesty lives on a throne In the autumn of the journey You can smell the leaves burning You're getting closer to home You're getting closer When you learn there are no streets of gold Just the creek gravel drive at the end of the road You're getting closer to
dogs still bark at rabbits in the dark and the silence is music alone when you hear people pray at the end of the day you're getting closer to home you're getting closer to home when you learn there are no streets of gold just the creek And then uh, one other thing, I wrote a Christmas song quite a few years ago. I never really put any good tracks to it, just something for the family to hear. But then I came up with this current Christmas idea, and I came up with kind of the whole story concept. And if we can go into the whole thing, or yeah. should I just yeah. Yeah, talk go about for the it. song? Okay, the whole story, of course, I am Catholic, so we celebrate Christmas pretty thoroughly with all the scriptures and all that kind of stuff. So in there is the nativity scene, and the shepherds were the first one that heard about the nativity. So I figured I'd take a, make up a story about a shepherd, right, who went, and he's a 10-year-old boy. He went and he talked to the Holy Family, to Mary and Joseph. And a 10-year-old kid, he doesn't have really a concept of, the angel message was, you know, is this someone who was just born, he's going to be the, your Messiah. He's the he's the one. Well, it didn't mean much to this 10-year-old kid. However, he was learning the, the livestock business, and he's he's a shepherd. And they, shepherds, it's like, the, you know, it's like today, the kids on a farm, they, they see birthing and death and all that stuff. Second nature to them. Mm -hmm. So they hold lambs when they're born, keep them safe and all that kind of stuff. So he goes and he's pestering now Mary and Joseph. They have a newborn baby. But he doesn't care. I mean, he cares, but he's just not bashful. Mary, can I hold the baby? So I thought, well, this is a good idea. I'll, I'll develop that into a song. And eventually a whole story where this guy, I gave him a name, and later on it's changed in his life. Starts out, he's called Eleazar. Later on, his name gets changed to Lazarus. Okay. And in scripture, okay. Lazarus is Jesus' best friend, but nothing is known about him. So I figured this is a perfect opportunity to conjure up a story about him. Okay? Okay. And uh, later on, the, the punchline of the whole story is Jesus raised him from the dead. Lazarus had died before Jesus could get there to visit. And he raised him from the dead. 
and cried it because he was so just showing the human nature of Jesus. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to try to capture that whole story in several songs. Oh, okay. okay. One of them is Mary, Can I Hold the Baby? So. We heard the angels and we saw the star. I'm the youngest shepherd, Elazar. We're scared and excited to come and adore. We all ran so fast, my feet are sore. You and Joseph have a newborn son. An angel told us he's the one. Mary, can I hold the baby? I can sing a lullaby. Joseph is so kind to me. He said he would ask and see. I'll be as gentle as I can be. Mary. Can I hold the baby? Did you see that star so bright lighting up the silent night? Behold the lamb. When they are born We know how to keep them safe and warm In three years I'll be thirteen He's the sweetest babe I've ever seen How did you find this little manger cave? They sent me I've seen him before The cute mangy donkey He must be yours He'll stop the wind And keep you warm I hide in here When there's a storm Mary, can I hold the baby? I can sing a lullaby Joseph is so kind to me He said he would ask and see I'll be as gentle as I can be Mary, can I hold the baby? I'll be as gentle as I can be Mary Can I hold the baby I don't know what, what you would call that kind of a story uh, string but 
maybe a fable, you know, it's not true, but it could be. Right. That kind of thing, you know. So that's the story behind it. Now the technical part of it, that recording, I'm, I would imagine that some of your listeners, Zach, are pretty technically oriented. If you're in the music business, probably have your own studio in this day and age. And there's a lot of people making their own music. Mm-hmm. Well, for that song, if we, I don't know if we're going to get to hear it later. Yeah. The entire song was done on in band in the box. Oh, wow. Okay. I may have augmented the or replaced the bass track by playing it live on the keyboard, but it was basically there, but maybe I'm correct some, you know, imperfections or something, you know. So I recorded it with the band in the box, transferred it to Logitech, and, um, and and mixed it. Send it to Gary. What do you think? He said, "That oh, sounds pretty good." I could have done better. No, he didn't say. That. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say that. He didn't say that. Probably wanted to, but no, no, no. That's a great job on that song. Anyway, I learned from his his taste in in mixing. You know, and again, he's back in the picture because he's part of part of my my whole picture. Right, right. Just for who he is, you know. I always like to uh, think that I could write songs with people. You know, I get inspired from people. Like when I was in Nashville, I was writing all the time because I was around creative people. You know, right. Sitting here in the studio by yeah. myself, come up with some ideas and a couple of throwaways, pieces of paper, and. I, it's about as far as it goes. So I, Gary gave me some of his early recordings, and I realized that this guy's a hell of a writer. So finally I got courage enough to say, Gary, how about you and I writing a song? Six years later, he said, no. (laughs) (laughs) Did anybody tell you you're a good comedian too, Red? Well, I uh, got a great big shovel for my retirement present. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so yeah, he said, let's let's give it a try. So I had a big long list of titles for songs, and so did he. We picked out a couple of possibilities. And this particular song started out with an idea of, uh, I think my, my original idea was, ladies look good when they waltz. Where did I come up with that? I don't know. Mostly... I guess from experience, I played for a lot of dance floors. You know, dance floor was right. my stage. Okay. So I watched people dance, and uh, people look good when they're dancing the waltz. So you try, you change that. The ladies look good when they waltz, and they do. So that didn't quite inspire us. Pretty soon, so you know what I'd like to do someday is write a song about Hank Williams, and maybe we could tie this together. You know, and somehow we evolved that title. Bourbon Street Walls. And I thought, well, we're coining a phrase here. Uh, we all know Hank, Hank's past, Hank's history with uh, adult beverages and uh, entertainment products. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Drugs and alcohol. <laughs> we decided we're going to try that. About how many versions later, about 15 different versions of this song, Several versions Gary 
approved of and and had a hand in changing <laughs> and then pretty soon we kind of you know kept our uh, had our distance for our own private purposes and i would have to call him up and say gary guess what i changed our song <laughs> oh, no. oh, so i would send it to him and uh, i don't like that i don't like this pretty soon we got to where we were i was doing it probably way too often i quit doing it and i so let's let's get a version that you like, and we'll get you sing it. And uh, so he did did a hell of a job on it. And uh, I did change a couple things since then, but, <laughs> but he meanwhile he beat me to it, and he got it out on uh, on iTunes. And uh, I don't know how uh, how much airplay you got, but uh, it should have gotten some, you know. Well, it's. It's been uh, it's 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 a uh, a, a recurrence thing around uh, Mardi Gras every year when I show the more you know New Orleans flavor and it's got the picture of the title of there with the New Orleans uh, Bourbon Street you know yeah I, you know we thought that this this play on words the Bourbon Street Waltz was you picture a guy that's trying to uh, Maintain equilibrium up on stage, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> or walking down the street, you know. And what is Bourbon Street known for? Bourbon, right? Right, so, right. Okay, so we thought, and we coined a couple other phrases in there that uh, booze and bennies and burnt lullabies and phrases like that. I don't, I don't think that burnt lullabies survived the last version, but uh, no, I don't think it did. But I really like the version that I did. Yeah, <laughs> I did too. It's a, it's a definitive version, and you can have other versions of songs. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, booze and Venice burned lullabies. Three sons of sin, he called the Bourbon Street a waltz. Touch the souls 
like I did with Mary Can I Hold the Baby. I originally recorded that in 2020. Okay? And uh, like I confessed to earlier, I overthink things. You know? And not that I'm, you know, being critical, but I, I go over my, my work and I say, you know what? I could say that better. I could say that better. You know? And I was taught, I learned, and Gary can vouch for He's been through the same ringer. You, you try to sell your songs, and you're dealing with really professional writers who have heard the best, and they mm -hmm. don't have to say yes to your song because standing right behind you is a guy with a better song, you know. Mm -hmm. So you better have your song finished when you hand it to him, you know. And I tried to get a you know a good uh, inspiration answer from a songwriter or many songwriters, how often do you change them after you're done? And most of them say, nah, not too much. When, you're, when I'm done, I put them away. You know, I put them away. I write something new. Write something new. Otherwise, they'll drive and themselves is, crazy. Yeah, they will. And producers are the same way. They right. could have a, a, and I've seen it myself. I was in to see uh, John Virgin, who was a drummer for uh, Mel Tillis at this time. And he was also John's, uh, Mel Tillis's producer. And I, I made an appointment over the phone when I was there. Could I come in and pitch a song? Sure, come on. So I walked in, and Mel had just received uh, Artist of the Year, Entertainer of the Year Award. So, I mean, songs were coming in. Even as I was sitting there, they would literally throw them in the room and then over in the corner, <laughs> a big pile of tapes, all in envelopes. Wow. No no telling how many monster hit songs were there. And uh, he was ready to listen to my song, which he hadn't heard yet. And who's this guy sitting in front of him? You mm -hmm. know? And uh, 
it's it's just uh, they want something fresh, and they like to be able to pick up the phone and ask for it. So and so is cutting this afternoon. Write me something. You know, we need something, something good. It's happened so many, so many stories. Same story, you know. Mm-hmm. So, like I'm saying, you write it, you throw it out there. If they don't like it, move on. And uh, not being there, of course, I got nothing to do except uh, uh, rewrite it. Yeah. You know? Or write and, a new song. I'll write a new one, but again, I'm back here by myself in the studio. Gary's off making a living and uh, not here to inspire me. (laughs) (laughs) So I wander aimlessly in this little room. Yeah. Bouncing off the fiddles and guitars on the walls, you know. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah, I'm looking at those instruments that are behind you. Like, what do you have behind you? Because obviously the, the listeners are not going to be able to see this. It's just going to be audio. See that, yeah. Well, I see you're looking at a, a mandolin, a fiddle. There's actually five five violins are back in the shadows. And then kind of to my, this side, you'll see um, I got uh, three guitars in a stand. And then off to my left, there's a vocal booth. There's two more guitars in there. So I got a lot of, a lot of guitars standing around, which I am ashamed to say I haven't touched in three and a half years, basically touched. I picked them up uh, a couple of times because, we're, okay, we're doing a Christmas get- gathering at my brother's or something. Will you bring your guitar? And I got uh, another brother who plays guitar and goes out and sings. Another brother who's a, uh, an accomplished keyboard man direct choirs and barbershop quartets and stuff. He plays the keyboard and then kids all play. I got nephews and nieces that played violin and stuff. So Christmas is a big thing, but music. Yeah, definitely. Or I get something ready, you know. Right. But it's nothing but two or three songs. And then I put the guitar away. I should keep that up, but I don't. Same thing's happening this year. As a matter of fact, this, this coming up song Mary Getting a Hold of Baby, I believe is going to be featured or in, included in a, uh, a parish concert coming up Sunday evening. Wow. So cool. It starts at 5 o'clock right here in my neighborhood, uh, St. John the Evangelist. And um, we said that we dropped it off there for the pastor because we heard that he likes Christmas music, Christmas things all year. So I think I told Mary Jo and my wife, she said, let's drop one off for him. So he did, and uh, he made it a point to say he likes this song very much. Well, that was last year's version. So I asked him, I said, can I give you the new version? <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> so he asked me to sing it at the concert, and I thought, I've got a problem because of not singing. I, my voice is kind of deteriorated oh, okay. in that short time. So I... I turned him down. I said, I can't, I can't sing, you know. So he said, well, his featured uh, soloist in the choir will, will do it. So I got him the sheet music and uh, the lyrics and stuff. So I'm anxious to hear that song by somebody, sung by somebody else. Yeah, that'd be, that's really cool. It's always kind of cool to hear someone do a rendition of your own song. It is. 
Hey, hey Red, are you going to have that recorded, my friend? You got to have that recorded. If you're not thinking about that, you should be. Yeah. Well, I won't have an opportunity really to oh. bring anything in to record it. Of course, record it on my my uh, smartphone, but uh, you well, know, I, I got a zoom. I got a zoom recorder. I could bring it in there, but I'll be sitting in the audience. So. Oh, okay. Well, just, 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 that's me thinking ahead and I saying, get a stereo I'm pair in there. I saw that. Okay. I, I <laughs> yeah. envisioned that, but uh, unless that concert is going to be recorded, but I don't, you know, I didn't hear anything about that. Yeah. Well, I would ask them. Yeah. Anyway, be a great thing to have. It would be, yes. Even if they have like a balcony or something, you could just put a couple mics up there and your zoom recorder or whatever, and just at least capture it. Yeah. I got a hunch though, that this concert is going to be in the hall instead of in the church. Oh, okay. You know, so they can see the, who's doing the singing, you know, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. What else can I ask you? Um, cause I mean, this this could turn into a two three hour interview if we kept well, going. Yeah. <laughs> it sure could. You're trying to um, trying to tell me something, Zach. I can. Well, I can why don't, if if you don't have, I mean, it's up to you, Zach. If you have an, a a follow up question here, that's great. Or you could ask me to put in a couple of. You could stick what I have to say about uh, red wherever you want in it, and maybe now that would also give you another idea for a follow-up question yeah so gary why don't you kind of give us your perspective on on working with red yeah sure well red uh accurately described our meeting uh and our history i i did start earlier uh my first record that i had out was when i was 16 so by the time we met I had already had a single and probably my first album out and, and was working on Auto and the Elevators uh, at the time that we originally met and have built our, uh, you know, relationship, our friendship together. I've watched Red with great respect because, you know, the one thing he's not telling you is that when he did those solo gigs, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he was he was playing he was playing uh, pedal bass. And accompanying himself. Oh, wow. And you'd go in to hear this, and it was like, what? I mean, it was a complete band arrangement um, where he would pull this off, and his pedal bass playing was top-notch. I mean, we're not talking just the one in the the the, the root in the third. Right. We're talking, you know, actual, uh, actual patterns. And he got really good at that. So that was one of the things that gave him the leg up on being able to do those solo gigs, right? Which, you know, I mean, if you're going to have somebody, uh, that's why he managed to stay so long at, at, at the, uh, at the venues that he had. Um, the other thing I'll say is he, he forgets to tell a really good story at Nick's Nickabob. There used to be a, a country Western club called Nick's Nickabob that would have national entertainment all the time. So they would come into town and either they would know about Nick's Nickabob. And for after hours, or they would, uh, you know, the day before the gig or something like that. And I'm sure that Red has lots of stories about people who showed up that, you know, they were surprised had been there. Uh, But he tells a story, a really good one that you should ask him about, about um, 
being the backup band for Charlie Pride. Oh, wow. The, the famous black singer. You yeah. know, so we're, we're talking at a level of accomplishment, which is so different in the time that Red was playing is like the level of accomplishment that had to happen at a certain level had to be, you know, at, at this, this higher scale than any of us are even, you know, uh, accustomed to nowadays that you have pro tools that lets you fix anything you want. I yeah. mean, it had to be done in one pass. It had to be done live. You, you, I'm, I'm sure that Red could tell you, I, I don't know if you, they had a rehearsal for Charlie Pride, but, I can guarantee you Char Charlie could call out a song and a key and they would play, you know, imagine doing that now. I mean, you could do that with jazz bands, but uh, you know, a rock band, are you kidding me? You know, so this is the level that he came from and all those instruments that you see are things that he's very accomplished at. Yeah. I mean, he's a really good fiddle player, not only guitar player, not only a rhythm player, a bass player, and uh, uh, and 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 the mando player as well. So I mean, he can play those instruments, not just look at them. You know what I mean? So that's that's the story I wanted to to make sure that that we relate. And 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 everything he told you about about working together on the songwriting was accurate as well. And I'm really proud. Uh, there, there's a couple other songs that we wrote. I I don't know, maybe three or four together. And I'm proud of uh, our collaboration because. That's another thing that I always wanted to do with with writers and and the times that I have uh, have been probably, you know, uh, relatively few. There was, I, you know, I've had some some experience with that. But with Red, it was very satisfying because he's such a perfectionist. <laughs> it made me it made me cringe to think we were going through another iteration of the lyrics and um you know, but it was always for the best. So right, right. That's I, I just wanted to add that. Um and uh and 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 sing his praises because you know, making a living in the business, you know, all those years yeah. and giving up a regular job, that's a big ask. And he did. Gary, thank you very much. I uh I am humbled by your, your comments there. I very appreciative. And uh, I could I could say dittos for your accomplishments on on the instruments. I realized that you you know played keyboard. I guess I, I just assumed that you did. But when we were doing a couple of things, making some changes, you brought over your keyboard, and or no, you played you played mine at first, and I was very impressed. And oh, you really know how to play that keyboard, you know. And then he brought over the, key, the keyboard to make some changes, and he, some chord changes and some inversion type things. He said, man, this guy does know his music, you know, and not just a great singer. And you are a great singer, a great phrase. He's a master at phrasing and interpretation of, of feeling. He should have been a country singer. God dang. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I missed my call. Anyway, uh, but can you tell that Charlie Pride story? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Down at uh, Nick's Nickabob, I um, got to back up a few of the uh, major artists that became major artists. People like uh, uh, Crystal Gale, um, wow. Eddie Raven, 
we backed up Charlie Pride by kind of by accident. He came in. Charlie likes to socialize, so when he hits town and has a little time to spend, he'll go to the clubs, you know. And, uh, of course, he brings an entourage of people. And uh, so, anyway, uh, he came in to fix Nickabob. And I should pre preface this story with a short version of testimony to Charlie Pride's fantastic memory. Okay. He can remember people that he's met long, long time ago. Remember their name, remember where they've met, and so on. When Charlie first was getting started, he came to the Clef Club after a show. I was in the band with Bobby Nelson, another major name here in Wisconsin, Milwaukee. And um, I was playing bass in Bobby's band, and I had switched over to guitar a few weeks before that. So Charlie came in with his manager. Webb Pierce was on that main show. And they also came because they had asked, where's the, what's what's happening in town? Where do we go? Webb Pierce came in. Charlie Pride came in. And somebody else from that particular show. Anyway, Webb Pierce wouldn't come up to sing. But Charlie Pride said, yeah, I'll come up to sing. What is Bobby called him up. He came up right in front of Bobby, in front of the stage. <laughs> and Bobby handed him his, his guitar. <laughs> And so that left no lead player. I was playing rhythm. And uh, so Charlie started singing one of his songs, and it had a, a real distinctive lead lick in it on one, one part. And I knew that was coming up, so I reached behind me and made a little adjustment. Doom, doom, doom. I played it for him. And he reached over or looked over, and the biggest smile on his face. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I was really... I was in heaven, you know, here I played something for this big star. Yeah, you know? right. Okay, now this story goes on. Several visits to Nashville, I ran into him. And each time he remembered me. And this was quite a time span in between. Nice. And uh, one time he was in a, in a, okay, I won't go into too many detail. Anyway, he's back in town now. He stops in at the at uh, Nick's Nickabob. And he's had a couple of drinks. And uh place is jammed. We're all like sardines. And he, Nick could hold about 300 people in there. And I bet you he had 400 in there. Oh, wow. At least. Yeah. And um, so we're on stage. And in fact, I'm, I'm backing up Marvin Rainwater that night with my band. Marvin Rainwater was a way back in the Stone Age of country music. He had a big hit. And uh, so that was uh, that was the situation that night. Charlie walks in with his entourage. We're taking a break. Nick says, hey, Red, come on over. Introduce you to Charlie Pride. Okay, so I'm making my way through the crowd. And he sees me coming. And he hollers across from where he was sitting, a big table. Red Deacon, I know this guy. Come on, Red, come here, say <laughs> hi. You know. <laughs> so that story could go into more detail, but that's a testimony to his memory. Yeah. At one time, he told me, and this was maybe a year had gone by between the first time and that time, and he had been socializing, had a had a recording studio, so he had a few drinks, you know. 
So he's sitting back there with his manager, and I I waited till he was the crowd had cleared, and he saw me coming back. He's kind of squinting at me. I know you. You're Red Deacon. And he says, now give me a minute. I'm going to tell you where I met you. And he named it. He named the club, the Clef Club in Milwaukee. And, and he said, now wait a minute. I'm going to tell you the name of the bass player in your band. And he did. I mean, this guy has terrific memory. Yeah. You know. And another testimony to that fact was there was a studio owner there that uh, met Charlie briefly someplace. And years later, he was walking into Tootsie's Orchid Lounge. It's raining out. He drives a uh, taxi cab, pulls up in front. Charlie Pride gets out. And the guy's name was, they called him Mac. Hey, Mac, wait up. Getting wet here, you know. Called him by his name. And Mac, and Mac was so surprised. I only met the man once, and it's just <laughs> a casual meeting. And he remembered me, you know. Oh, another one with me, I me. I'm on a Milwaukee show because the union at the time had a requirement. You had to have so many local musicians represented at the shows. Okay, there was a big show at the auditorium, I think it was. And um, so I'm standing in the hallway backstage, and there's dressing rooms all back there. And this particular dressing room was dark, but the door was open. And on the other side of the room toward where the street was, was windows open down at would be table level or whatever. These big windows were open. And I'm hearing my voice, my name. Hey, Red, Red. And I look around. I can't see anybody. Finally, I look close. Through the window from outside is Charlie Pride <laughs> getting my attention. Now, this this tells a racial story. I'll tell you how, how that fits in. But he said, Red, go open the door tell or tell this guy at the door who I am so I can get in. And Charlie's the headliner of that show. And they oh, let him into the auditorium. Oh, oh man. And he, Charlie told many of these stories himself when he first got started. He'd come on stage and people would be clapping here, make welcome, Charlie Pride. And then everybody would be quiet. They realized that the man was black. And they never, the DJs never said that. Oh, you're right. Because he, he sounded like the average country singer with a great voice and great songs. And there he was, you know, in person. And he had many stories to tell about that. Yeah, you know? I bet. Yeah. I mean, unless, unless Red has something that he wants to bring up. Well, one thing I can leave the, your listeners with. Okay. Kind of sum up of my, my performing years. I learned, you got to learn, you got to know your own limitations. Like the famous Clint Eastwood line, man's got to know his limitations. Mm-hmm. You know? That's so true. I realized early on that I'll never be a big show person. I'll never be a, a big star, you know. And I likened myself to some of the some of the country artists that had maybe a hit record. They didn't really have a great voice, but maybe they were a writer, got interested in performing career, got a contract, didn't get very far. Maybe I'll be one of them. 
but I'd like to have my income from music, continue to do that. So as how am I going to survive in this business by doing a solo act? And I'm not a, I'm not a show person. Well, then I learned for me to have a steady gig, I have to properly place their center of attention, not on me, but on that dance floor. People at that time, they go out because they want to meet other single people. Right. You know, fall in love for the night, for a week, for <laughs> life, whatever. But uh, that's what they that's what they want, you know. And the best way to do that is on a dance floor. Yeah. So my my rooms are filled with people that come to dance, come to watch people dance. So when they, you know, when there's nobody on the dance floor, uh, they can hear something playing. But pretty soon somebody's going to go out there and dance. Then that's the show. Right. I realized that. And some people in the show business can't can't take that. They have to be the center of attention, you know, mm. and many of them deserve it. Take, for example, we've dropped Charlie Pride's name and also Crystal Gale. Both of these guys, these people, these guys had the charisma. They can walk in a room and instantly the focus is on them. You know, they can take the oxygen out of a room just by being there. People can't take their eyes off of them. And that's something you're born with, mm-hmm. you know. So if Charlie Pride ever did a solo act, they would never sell any drinks. People would be sitting there, you know, <laughs> watching them. And same with Crystal Gale, and that happened down at Nick's Nickabob. She was out on a standing on a dance floor, a few a square feet of space left for her. She grew to a tremendous crowd her very first time there. She had no backup band yet, so we were playing but the people would not take their eyes off of her, you know, and consequently Nick wasn't selling any drinks. They always <laughs> would ask me at the end of the night, what do you think, Red? You know, should I have her back? Do you want me to sign her up again? And I told her, told him, I says, if you trust me at all, I says, you'll book her as often as you can while you can, because, you know, in a very short time, She's going to be so popular that you won't be able to touch her. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, I was right, you know. But like I said, that natural charisma comes across where you, you know, and many movie stars are like that. You you can't, when they come on screen, you can't take your eyes off them. People like Johnny Carson, why did they watch him? Because they could not take their eyes off of him. He had that charisma. Right. You know. And I probably, you know, I could keep going with right, names, yeah. but that's the idea. I knew I was not one of them kind of people, so I had to find a substitute. And the people will not take their eyes off a dance floor. Well, it was really nice meeting you, Red. I really appreciate you taking the time to come up on the Wisconsin Music Podcast. It was, but it's been a pleasure. Well, it's been my pleasure. I really enjoyed this. Good, yeah. good. Glad you did. It's been a while since I could talk about myself. I've been out of it that long, you know, and I. Uh, I've never, never did get a chance to really blow my own horn, you know, tell my story. But <clears throat> this podcast of yours is <clears throat> is wonderful. Thank you. Appreciate it's that. Wonderful. Yeah.
I'm going to do what I can to help sp- spread the word. And Okay, great. Maybe I can uh, recommend some more local people that would also be of interest, you know. Definitely, yeah. Okay, okay this was fun, buddy. Great meeting you, and uh, God bless you. Same back at you. Have a, have a good okay. holiday. Thank you very much, and you too. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow, what another great interview with a Wisconsin legend, Red Deacon. Thanks to Gary for being in on the conversation as well. And I hope everybody enjoyed that as much as we did. If you're interested in being on the podcast, I do have a guest request form, a real short form. Just need your name and your email and send that off to me. And I'll send an auto email back to you asking for all your information that pertains to your organization, business, or performance group. If you're interested in any of my other ventures with ZTF Studio, either mixing, recording, editing, or any other audio issues that you may be in need of, you can contact me through my studio email, ztfstudio at gmail.com. Once again, that's ztfstudio at gmail.com. And you can also check out the website at ztfstudio.com. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you again on Monday.